Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here with you, along with John Ledyard, who is an NFL draft analyst for FanRag Sports and does the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. John, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure thing. It's a little early for uh, draft talk at the moment. So instead of looking forward to next year's draft, which we will do with you for sure here on the Purple Podcast when it becomes that time. uh, But what I want to do, John, is kind of take a look back since we here are at the bye week in Minnesota and kind of analyzing everything. Take a look back at the draft in general, the Vikings draft, and some of the other players who came out this year and how things have turned out for them uh, just around the NFL. And a great place to start was the breaking news a few hours before uh, we decided to record this, that Deshaun Watson will be out for the rest of the season with a torn ACL. And, uh, you know, I've just had about enough of torn ACLs, John. I am so sick of torn ACLs. Uh, because I loved the way Deshaun Watson was playing for the Houston Texans. I haven't seen too many quarterbacks do what he did to a Seattle Seahawks defense, and I I think at least through eight weeks, he looked like a special quarterback. Uh, How does what he's done so far compare to what you saw of him in the draft? Does it surprise you that he's taken it to this level? I mean, it does surprise me to this level just in his first season, but Deshaun Watson was my QB1, so, I mean, it, it definitely it looked great for me and for my board that to see him playing at this level. And um, so I think there were certain aspects of it which weren't surprising, which was the fact that he was able to improve really quickly uh, from where he was at the preseason, where actually you could make an argument of the top four rookie quarterbacks when they played in the preseason that Watson was the worst uh, to being clearly the best in the regular season uh, to really being one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Uh, in the regular season and, and, and how quickly he adapted uh, both on the field, but also in the mentally. I mean, you could just see there was such a difference in his confidence and his processing from the pocket and decision-making, uh, you know, and, and he was still making mistakes here and there, but he was making so many great splash plays, great reads, uh, great progressions with his eyes um, and, and, and just showing off a better arm than people said that he had. Um, you know, I, I don't know where that – I think that originated kind of with the radar gun at the combine and people said he didn't have enough velocity in the ball. But, 
you know, state becomes, and it didn't look like he had this elite arm in terms of velocity, but certainly was, was fine in that area. I didn't think it was a big concern. And then ability to throw deep. I think he always had the ability to throw deep. His accuracy would be a little bit or miss, but I thought that was one of his biggest strengths this season. So he seemed really comfortable throwing deep in, in what Houston was running. And so, I mean, O'Brien did a really good job of working the offense around him and, and Watson did a great job of kind of being able to make plays in that structure and then also out of it. I think that the, his ability to be a playmaker and put the team on his back and just kind of go out there and create outside of structure, you know, special players do that. And he, he is a special player. He will be a special player. Um, was definitely, I mean, it's funny. You scout these guys, you read so much about them, you watch them. In a lot of cases, you interview them, you feel like you're almost a part of their journey and not, and not that you, and you're not, you know, you're really not. But at the same time, when they go down like that, I mean, I, I came in the house, I was coaching football and I, I saw, I got the news after practice. I was, as I was driving home and uh, I came in the house and I told my wife and you could just see it in her face. Like she, she was devastated. She, she follows this stuff as closely as I do. And I was devastated. And I talked with her a lot about the prospects that I like. So it is, it's funny when a player does stuff like that, I think it's what makes football special is that not only, does Deshaun Watson do special things on the field, but he's just a special human being. And so I think we all just, you know, prayers out to him and just for that recovery and you know, hope he's back better than ever next season. Yeah, I think it was a kick in the gut to everybody because of his backstory and just, you know, he was one of the most fun players to watch in college. I mean, there, every so often, every couple of years, a guy comes along that is a must-watch player, and sometimes those guys work out in the NFL. Uh, Danny Warfel became a big NFL star. Um, <laughs> kidding about that, obviously. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, a lot of those guys don't work out, though. Those guys who right. are, yeah, you know, you got to watch Tim Tebow or you got to watch Danny Warfel. Sorry, Gators fans, I'm not specifically going after you there, but um, with him. There was the debate around him. Could he be a good NFL quarterback? And he was one of the most exciting players to watch. So to see him succeed and to know his backstory and where he came from and to see his maturity, uh, it, it was it was really great. And I think there are very few things in America that everybody agrees on, but I think everybody agreed on liking Deshaun Watson. What What is the hardest part for you as a draft analyst about analyzing quarterbacks? Because I think if we were to redraft already, you would have Deshaun Watson, number one, no question about it, right? And I, I don't know how, how many people felt that way when, uh, you know, at, at draft time, if anybody felt that way, that Deshaun Watson should have gone number one overall. Yeah, it's an interesting question because, I mean, Miles Garrett to me is, I think he's going to be an absolutely generational player. I think, I mean, I think, that that phrase is kind of has no actual definition, but when I say that, I just mean uh, a, just a completely special player, a can miss type player. You can argue the value of the quarterback position, you know, but I think it's hard for me to criticize the Browns making the mouth Garrett pick at number one, even if Watson had gone number two. It's a lot easier to criticize the Browns moving back from twelve and not taking Deshaun Watson at twelve. Uh, where he obviously ended up being drafted by the Texans, you know. So imagine that draft if you come out with Garrett, who, if he's healthy the full season, is probably your front runner for defensive rookie of the year. And then coming back with Deshaun Watson to the 12th overall pick, who, you know, is currently, was currently until the injury, you're probably the front runner, just maybe edging Kareem Hunt for offensive rookie of the year. And, and who knows if Watson plays that well in, in Cleveland? I'm sure he doesn't. Um, you know, they have a lot of issues, um, but it, there's so much that goes into it. Honestly, Matt, it, it becomes really difficult. So 
you know, so-and-so should definitely, you know, look at Mitch Trubisky's situation in Chicago. I mean, he's, he's the second most pressured quarterback in the NFL right now uh, on a consistent basis. And then you, the running game has been okay, but they have no, no weapons in the passing game whatsoever to speak of. Uh, they're having a really hard time even scheming things to, to get him good looks because they don't have any weapons that can win in any really specific ways. So, uh, it, it, it's a challenge. I think the, the hardest things you asked about evaluating quarterbacks, it's two things. It, one, you can't predict the landing spot, the coaching, the players around them, all those things. And they matter so, so, so much. Look at Jared Goff. I mean, the difference between he and Carson Wentz in the rookie seasons and even Dak Prescott in the rookie seasons, massive. This year, Jared Goff gets a, a good offensive-minded head coach who he relates to well. They get weapons around him. They get Andrew Whitworth in. They get Sullivan and They shore up the protection. Things are better up front he's suddenly with a head coach that understands offense and there's offensive minds around him and there's people helping him grow. He's a completely different player. Went from one of the worst rookie seasons ever for a quarterback to a completely different player in this year. The Rams, I think are five and two. They looked phenomenal. Um, this is one of the best offenses in the league. He's quarterbacking that. Um, so that massive difference between that and Carson Wentz and his landing spot and all the things you know, that he had to, to, with Doug Peterson and uh, so many uh, quarterback-minded people around him in that organization, um, You know, smart offensive people around him in that organization. And Dak Prescott having Scott Linehan and a great offensive line and uh, awesome weapons and Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, and all that stuff matters. And it's not to downplay what Wentz and Prescott have done, but I'm just saying that stuff matters so much and there's no way to predict it. And the second thing is uh, a quarterback's personality, leadership, um, work ethic, those types of things. Oh, it's, a, it's very difficult from the outside looking in. Now I've got closer to the process this year. So I was, we all were kind of able to see that about Watson. There's some no brainer situations like Watson's and Mariota. Um, but then there's situations like Paxton Lynch, where I think, it's played a big deal for people who really liked him. And I had him in the, in the mid-second round. I, you know, I liked him. Um, I think that that's been a big part of it is that I don't know that his personality, who he is, is a, you know, who is he that driven kind of, you know, is, does he have the intangibles to make it work at the quarterback position at a level like the NFL? I'm not sure that was there, but it was from afar really hard to be able to scout and evaluate that. So I think those are probably the biggest things because almost every quarterback comes in needing to make some kind of adjustment or grow in some major way. And the question becomes, are they going to be able to do that in the NFL? And I think the guys that are made of the right stuff tend to be able to do that pretty quickly. Yeah. And I think that adapting to the NFL life is very difficult for some guys uh, adapting to the pressure to the criticism, to the criticism from your own coaches. I mean, if, if you're someone like Paxton Lynch, I would imagine that you're the best player that they had. What was it? Memphis that he went to? Yes. Right. So in, in Memphis, you're the best player. You're their meal ticket to being relevant. And this isn't always the case, but a lot of times that even on Clemson, Deshaun Watson, like you're going to be the guy. And I'm not saying the college coaches are soft by any means, but you're going to get a pass if you make mistakes, whereas the NFL, it's not going to be that way, right? right. And right. I, some people adapt better to that type of pressure. The other thing I think is the pocket and how quick it collapses on you. Um, there was a, there's a piece out about offensive lines and just how bad they are across the league. Um, and, uh, you know, you look at I was watching Teddy Bridgewater tape, which I want to ask you about um, in a bit. But I was watching Teddy Bridgewater 2015 tape the other night just uh, to, for an article I was doing. And it amazed me what he was able to do when his pocket would collapse quickly under that type of pressure to be able to keep his eyes downfield. There was no panic in the guy. 
And and in today's NFL, where it seems like they set up almost everyone to succeed with short passes and West Coast offenses, and everybody's got a good quarterback rating these days, it's constantly setting new records. I think that that's kind of that difference maker, and I see that with Wentz. I mean, he was always able to throw the ball real far, right? Um, And he's not always accurate with it. Sometimes he is and he isn't. But when he's at his best is when there's chaos around him and he doesn't seem to panic. I felt the same way watching Watson last week. Yeah, I mean, I think Carson Wentz is like the the perfect model of a quarterback who didn't have had a, had some concerns coming into the NFL, but had everything you wanted to be able to like if you were a coach to be able to say, okay, I have the people in place, I have the quarterback people to surround him with. Now, can he respond to coaching? And I think that's the big question that that teams have to ask, you know, because these quarterbacks are coming in. They're not all Andrew Lux, you know. Hardly anybody is. You know, you're not going to come right in and get an you know, All Pro type of guy. You got to say, okay, can we build an offense? Can we can we grow this prospect into what we need him to be, what he should be someday? And I think with Wentz, it was like even though there were issues, all the other stuff like mentally, he was so sharp and impressed teams on the whiteboard so much, and just had the ability to just take any concept that they threw at him and just you know tell them how to attack it against a certain defense, and um, he just was able to do those things so well, and you could see it in in, in the, his first regular season start. You know, he comes out there and he's you know calling and changing plays before the before the snap, and just in complete command of the situation, and knowing where his hot is and everything like that. I mean, he's just he had that makeup that you want that you knew it was going to happen for him and then you add in the athleticism the ability to play in and out of structure that you saw even in North Dakota State I mean it just becomes all these pieces you know the arm is really good and he can throw deep and all these pieces that you want now yeah there's some mechanical issues yeah there's some posture issues in the pocket yeah there's some stuff with him walking onto his first read and not moving through progressions quite as fast as he could but Man, if he has all that other stuff, we can iron out the rest of this. We can make it work. And I think that's what's happened with Deshaun Watson, or that's what's happened with Carson Wentz. And it's happened in an incredibly short amount of time. I mean, he, he went from being a pretty solid quarterback last year. The situation kind of fell apart a little bit in Philadelphia as the year went on. Uh, things went got sour pretty quickly. Um, and, and I didn't think he was horrible at any point. You know, he had some he, things as things unraveled, he kind of reverted back to some of the mechanical flaws he showed before. Uh, but I think more than anything, when you watch Carson Wentz, no, you just saw a guy that was going – it was hard not to believe it. You know, it was people ripped on him for his rookie year after the season. But to me, even though I wasn't crazy high on him coming into the draft, he had me convinced after his rookie season that he was going to be a star. And he's looked like one for just about every second of 2017. I think as Vikings fans sort of prepare themselves to who might we play in the playoffs, which yeah, they're getting a little ahead of themselves after last year going 5-0 and and then falling apart. Um, but – Philadelphia is another team that I think Vikings fans are looking at and trying to decide how real they are. I mean, we know that Drew Brees, if he has any semblance of a defense, can win a Super Bowl. So he's clearly a threat in the NFC. Seattle is a phenomenal team, uh, and they just got better with Dwayne Brown. But Philadelphia is the one where you wonder, is this the real Carson Wentz, or is this a small sample size Carson Wentz? I mean, I... I have trouble watching him and thinking that he won't be able to continue these things. But Vikings fans watched him last year get lit up by the Vikings defensive line and really have some struggles there. So it sounds to me like you think that he's going to be able to continue this. Oh, yeah, he's he's 100% the real deal. You know, I mean, not that he won't have any bad games or anything like that. I mean, obviously he will. And, you know, seven and one, you can make the argument the Eagles probably aren't. You could say the Eagles aren't the best team in the NFC. 
I think they've played like the best team so far this season. I think they have a lot of really good pieces. Um, you know, you could certainly, but I don't, there's a ton of parity this year. So if you want to say somebody else could, could beat the Eagles or match up well with the Eagles, I'm very open to that conversation. But in terms of what Wentz has done, yeah, I mean, he's going to have his ups and downs still. I mean, he's definitely not, still not perfect as a prospect. I think it's just more like that he's already this good and he's going to keep getting better. I think that's the biggest thing with Wentz. And that was the biggest thing with him coming out. He was a quarterback with this incredible ceiling. You know, could he get there? How fast would he get there? Um, and, and they, Eagles just got this, this guy with all, the tools to be able to get there um, quickly. Um, and he's shown that so far. So yeah, I expect the Eagles success to continue. I picked them to make the playoffs uh, before the season when I don't think, I don't think a ton of people were picking them to make the playoffs. Um, and now with, with the Cowboys issues with Elliott and that young defense, it looks like the Eagles seem pretty poised to win that uh, division. And I would say at seven and one, probably but pretty, yeah, I think they're going to hit bumps in the roads in the second half of the season. They're not going to finish 15 and, and one or anything like that, but um, you know, they still probably have a pretty good shot to, uh, to finish as the top seed in the NFC, which I think is is a pretty big deal. Yeah, and I and I really like their defensive line too. I, I mean, I think that they uh, Brandon Graham is a guy that doesn't get talked about, but is always in the backfield, and, and Fletcher Cox up there too. I mean, they uh, pretty much single handedly won the game last year against the Vikings. The uh, I mean, I guess the Vikings fans would have blamed their offensive line, but I I, I want to switch over to the Vikings draft and just how funny drafting can be, John, because. After the 2016 draft, I, I think fans were looking at this front office saying, what happened there, right? And then this year, they come away with Delvin Cook, who looks like a superstar before his ACL. Thanks, ACLs, again. And they come away in the third round with a starting center who has been a major difference maker on the offense. And it just seems really rare that a team could go into a draft without a first round pick and get a superstar and then a guy who looks like he's going to be your starter for a decade. Well, it was unbelievable. I mean, Vikings had one of the best drafts in the entire NFL. And I, I think, I don't know if I talked to you after I, anybody, I was, any show I was on after I just praised the Vikings draft because you know, Dalvin Cook's a top 10 talent in this past class. There's no question. He's a top 10 talent. Um, you know, I know there's some off the field questions, but Snidey landed in a great stable environment in Minnesota um, with, with uh, a lot of good people around him. So I, you know, I think that that's going to, that's an absolute home run pick for them. Pat Elfline is a, was a second rounder to him, in my opinion, uh, you know, a high second rounder and they got him in the third round and he's been a big upgrade for them. Still not perfect, but a big upgrade for them. No question. Uh, Jaleel Johnson, I know he's barely even played uh, right now for the Vikings, but you know, they have obviously a ton of depth up front when Johnson's gonna, name is going to be called upon, whether because of injury or because you know it's his time, whenever that is for Minnesota, he is going to be an absolute stud for them against the run. Um, you know, fourth round pick. I think he's been, he's going to be money in the back. I had him as a late second round or mid to late second round. Great. So for them to get him uh, with the second pick in the fourth round was, was absolute money. Uh, even Ben Gideon, I know he's played sparingly too, but I mean, that's a, that's a good solid fourth round pick. And, you know, a guy that isn't never going to be on the field a ton, but can play a valuable role when he does have to be out there. And, you know, Danny Sador is getting a chance to play some now. And uh, I know Stacy Coley flashed a lot in the preseason. I still have some hope for him. I always thought that he could, he, I had a fifth round grade in him. I thought, you know, once you get into that range, take a chance on this guy because he has crazy tools. He just seemed like he had confidence in finishing issues and maybe work ethic issues um, in Miami. But uh, I think that he has a lot of potential and Minnesota is a good landing spot for him. So, yeah, the Vikings aren't even a big team for, you know, play your rookies right away. That's not even how they operate. So the fact that we're already saying this is a really good class and, you know, what Cook showed before he got hurt, I mean, he's going to be a special, special player. Um, and, and what Alfline's shown so far this season, I mean, I, I think they got a couple of legitimate studs and longtime starters in this class. And 
know, they did it without a first round pick, which is absolutely tremendous. I, I think I've probably uh, regular listeners to the Purple Podcast have probably heard me tell a bunch of people of this about Delvin Cook that. Uh, when we got to training camp, it's kind of like, all right, they're going to be like a running back trio because the two guys have been proven as good running backs. McKinnon and Latavius Murray had been to a Pro Bowl. And then, uh, you know, Delvin Cook will mix in as the rookie and we'll kind of see where it goes. Well, Murray was out with the ankle issue, but it wouldn't have mattered if he was in anyway. Um, with Delvin Cook, it was immediately, this is a special player. This is not like there are a lot of running backs just running around who have some success. This is a difference maker. This is somebody who has special skill. And where you really saw it was his smarts and his ability to adapt quickly to pass protection, which I just couldn't believe how quick he picked it up. And I, I then, you know, there's the receiving out of the backfield. There's the natural instincts that nobody could tackle him. I mean, what they got there in the second round, I it definitely because of character issues. And when you look into the background, I think it's not so much his character. It's more of the concern that he would get in trouble because of people around him, which I, I think is a fair comment uh, based on his past. But just as him as a player, his approach to the game was really impressive and impressed a lot of the veterans. And I, I think that the Vikings basically have a franchise player here. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, I, to me, if you ask me what the most important traits for a running back are, you know, I would probably list three things. Uh, one of them would be you know, tackle breaking balance, whatever you call whatever Kareem Hunt has. You know, I mean, <laughs> you can call it power if you want in terms of just running people over balance, you know, t- the ability to break tackles or slip tacklers, um, you know, wh- whatever you however you want to refer to that. Um, and then burst, I think, and vision. And to me, Cook, he, he, he was fine in terms of his ability to slip tackles, but his vision and burst are just I mean, they're otherworldly. They're they're special uh, traits that he has. There's no question. And so I think he's going to be an unbelievable running back in the NFL for a long time. And he was already making a, a you know a decent offensive line look really good with the way that he was running the football and the, and, the, and the cracks that he was seeing up front and how fast he was able to hit them and make decisions and make people miss. And um, yeah, he's just gonna, he's going to be a really, really good talent for a long time as long as he can stay healthy and, and get back to 100%. What's really interesting to me is that he can be an all-around player too that he can catch out of the backfield he can he can play on all three downs I mean there are only maybe what five to seven guys in the NFL who can do that and I think uh, he he showed just like that that he could do all all three things so as long as there are no other issues with him uh, I think as soon as he comes back he's right in that role again Um, just with Elfline for a second I asked Brandon Thorne this you know Brandon right uh, oh yeah, and uh, he's the offensive line guy. And Brandon, I've never met someone or talked to anyone who was so high on Pat Elfline. He had a first round grade on him, loved him. Right? How did he drop to the third round? Because I, I feel like there are so. I asked Brandon this; he had no idea. Maybe you would know because there are so few players I think uh, that can step in and play the way he has on a veteran now offensive line that requires a lot of mobility, a lot of screens, a lot of, if, if you watch close, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, changes on the offensive line. They've had to do get as creative as possible to have Case Keenum succeed as the, the quarterback. And here's a 21 or 22-year-old guy coming in from college having to be the leader in the, in the center of that offense. I, I think it's been uh, just a huge, huge change for this Vikings offensive line to have a guy like him. To get him in the third round still blows my mind. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I can think of is because he isn't a great athlete. Um, 
That's the only thing I can think of because, I mean, his tape showed a really good player. He had the versatility to play center or guard, which is typically something teams really covet. Uh, technique, leadership, work ethic, um, you know, it was all – could not have received higher evaluations from anybody I talked to This guy at uh, Alfline. And so, I mean, y- you could argue whether he deserved, you know, a first-round grade because does he have that ability to be special and, and be dominant in his position? Um, you know, among the among the top tier guys in the NFL, you know, maybe, maybe not. But I mean, a, t- a guy that's going to lock down a spot on your offensive line for ten years. I mean, uh, to me, one hundred percent, that's Elfline. So I think he'll be, I think he'll be a really good player there for in for Minnesota. I, mean, I think he's, I think he's going to be, he's been good this year. I think he, he's next year. You're really going to start to see. I think he'll be even better um, next year with another year of experience under his belt and adapting to the speed of the game and letting his technique kind of take over because he isn't an unbelievable athlete or anything like that. But he's such a technician and such a thoughtful player, um, and, and he's sudden with his movements. I think that's what I really liked about him. He's not, he's not pass. You know, he's not like you, you talk about guys being athletic or or not athletic on the offensive line. A lot of people think you can't can't move as a result. Well, he varies his speeds to be able to kind of capture blocks and you know find leverage points. And you know, all of a sudden, you know, you don't think he's moving that quickly, and then all of a sudden, his hands are inside your chest. And, you know, you're having a hard time getting off his block. And he, I mean, he plays with a violent temperament and he, he just tries to finish everybody. You know, I love that about him. He's mm-hmm. he not, not always in a great position to do it, but he just stays on contact. And when you have a guy like Dalvin Cook with that kind of vision, a guy that can just stay on contact is just going to be so critical. You know, his pro football focus, you know, grades specifically may never be unbelievable or anything like that, but what with what the thing is with Alfline is that he just gets the job done. It's not always like the the prettiest looking thing, um, but he just gets the job done, and I think he'll do that in Minnesota for a long time. Yeah, the athleticism point is interesting because his combine numbers were not impressive at all, but yet what I see as an actual football player. I feel like he looks extremely athletic getting out right. on screens. There have been times where there's a 20-yard screen play and he's the lead blocker on it. He's way out in front of the running back decking safeties where you just don't see that a whole lot. And, and so maybe it's a difference between like what good is it to run a 40-yard dash for a center, right? I mean, right. it's uh, more about yeah. being quick and precise and all that. Right. And I think some of the agility drills – help measure that for offensive linemen. But at the same time, I mean, I really believe, and I love the comment. I think it's crucial for evaluation of players. I don't think it's that crucial for evaluation of offensive linemen. You know, I think if you test like a great athlete, that clearly shows that you can be a great athlete on the field as well. Uh, but I don't think if you test poorly in some of the, or, 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 you know, below average in some of the areas uh, that the combine tests, that that necessarily is an indictment of you as a player. Uh, more as a prospect uh, projecting to the NFL. I, I really just don't believe that because angles, timing, you know, uh, footwork and, and that, you know, every, every second, you know, where you cut down your split to another player, you know, all that stuff matters so, so, so much. Um, and it can help make up for some of those other um, inefficiencies. So uh, I think that that's the biggest thing, you know, even something like snap count anticipation, uh, you know, there's so many different things on the offensive line where you don't have to be a great athlete and teams have gotten in a lot of trouble because they've drafted great athletes for years on the offensive line over guys that were much more technically sound, you know, much more physical, much more smart, uh, much better mental processing. They kind of devalued those things and went for these big, long, you know, long arm, quick moving, you know, mm-hmm. those types. And I think it's gotten a lot of teams in trouble. Um, and I think that's why Minnesota was, you know, this guy, salt of the earth type, uh, Pat Elfline, we're going to go ahead and take him in the third round and lock down a spot on our offensive line with a third round pick. 
Let me uh, let me add a quick anecdote because I was going to throw this in there about Stacy Coley, something I've noticed in the locker room, and then uh, I want to ask you about uh, where where you may have missed on the draft because that's always fun to go back over and figure out why. I was telling you before we went on that uh, I think that anyone who beats Alabama will be a good quarterback so long as they're not Johnny Manziel, right? <laughs> as long <laughs> as long as they don't have. Uh, let's just say partying and many other issues, then, uh, then you'll be a good quarterback. But with Stacey Coley, something I've noticed about him is that he is around Teddy Bridgewater all the time in the Vikings locker room that on Friday they bring in barbecue or they bring in food or whatever. And all the guys just sit around eating and you know, it's good for reporters because everyone's available. But I noticed that Stacey Coley is over in the corner with Teddy Bridgewater and they're Miami guys. And that may be the connection, but when you talk about building a guy's confidence or his commitment, his work ethic and all that stuff, and he, you see him around Bridgewater all the time, you know that that's going to be a good thing. And the Vikings put Delvin Cook next to Teddy Bridgewater in the locker room for that exact same reason. He's right, yeah. he's right between Teddy Bridgewater and Terrence Newman. <laughs> so like the, the Vikings had a plan for these guys to put him around Bridgewater. Um, with, with the draft, did you, did you have one guy where you – were surprised he was picked in the first round and he's turned out to be good or just one that has really surprised you on the board uh, anywhere. It's still super early. Um, this has looked like a really good class for my evaluations right now, which means that everything will change in the next eight weeks or, you know, next <laughs> right. six months or something like that. I'll mention two names though. I thought Jared Davis was a third rounder uh, for Detroit. Um, and I, I don't think he's necessarily played at a first round level this season. In fact, I'm, I'm sure he hasn't, but when I watch him on tape and when I hear people talk about him, I just think, you know, I, I, I doubt, I, I talked to Jared Davis at the combine. I, he's incredibly bright, um, incredibly committed. He loves football. Um, I just saw so many inconsistencies on tape, um, as a player. And I, I watch him now in the NFL and I say, I still see some inconsistencies, but a guy that plays that physical, that violent, and, and makes some heady plays. You know, they're, they're few and far between maybe right now, but when I watch him, I just think, you know, I just think he's going to figure it out, and, and I think that he'll end up outplaying. I don't know if he'll play to, to the 21st overall pick or if he'll look back and say, oh, you know, the Lions needed a pass rusher, and there's Charles Harris tearing it up in Miami, or, you know, the Lions needed a corner, and there's Gary and Conley, or, you know, whatever you might, or Tredavious White, who went, you know, a couple, like six picks later to the Bills and is, you know, lighting it on fire right now. And, you know, uh, I think, or, or, you know, they pass on Ruben Foster. That'll be one that a lot of Lions fans will go back to. Oh, you know, what if we just, you know, and obviously the only reason Ruben Foster fell was off the field and injury concerns. So that will be the, the Lions, you know, ability to get out of that um, kind of conversation. But to me, just in a vacuum, I think Jared Davis ended up going to end up being a very good player for Detroit. I don't know if he'll ever be. 21st overall pick worthy, but I think he'll be uh, higher than, than where I had him somewhere in the third round. And uh, TJ Watt for Pittsburgh is probably the other one. I had him in the in the mid to late second round. Um, I really I liked Watt. I, I was shocked that he tested the way that he did. Um, and I think he's still figuring things out as a pass rusher, but uh, I don't know, man. He's just he, he's just an impressive – I mean, for a rookie to come in, he's playing a ridiculous amount of snaps. He's dropping into coverage all the time, so you know he's his conditioning is unbelievable. Um, his motor is unbelievable. He's such a physical, just a violent football player. Um, he does have special athleticism. He's not figured it all out yet as a pass rusher, uh, but as a run defender, um, as, as a guy who can drop into coverage and drops into coverage, I think more than maybe any outside linebacker in the league last time I checked for – 
for pro football focus. Um, he's just added such a dimension to Pittsburgh's defense. Um, I mean, he's been such a difference maker for them this season. Um, with his, and he hasn't even really come into his own as a pass rusher yet. So I'm really excited to see what the future holds with him. But those are probably two guys that, that I say went in the first round that have probably outplayed my early expectations for them. Well, I became a uh, draft Nick this last draft for the first time, really. It was the first time that I was solely covering an NFL team's draft, like that I, I that was one of my main tasks. So I watched a bunch of film. I interviewed you and I interviewed every, everybody else I could find that I think is good. And uh, I will tell you the one that I feel like I was wrong about because he was uh, tabbed to the Vikings by a lot of different uh, analysts was Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, I thought he was kind of slow. I didn't think he would gain separation in the NFL. And I, I just didn't see a ton of special plays that he made uh, a handful playing for a good USC team. And I just thought, well, this kind of looks like another guy to me. I mean, I do not get to the level of detail of scouting. This is why I interview you, John, because you're much better at this. <laughs> so I, how did you, have you been surprised? Cause you're there in Pittsburgh and your credential with the team, right? So you have uh, been around and you see what, what he's done. I mean, is, has he surprised you as much as he surprised me? Um, and he, he, I, I don't know if I think his role, I think surprised me. I, I don't think we knew what that would be going in. You know, that was the hard part with Juju, you know, um, I think there, you won't find anybody, just a complete joy to interview, complete joy to talk to, um, maturity beyond his years, but also, but also still a kid, you know, just like just youthful enthusiasm for life and, you know, a simplicity to him that is just really refreshing. Um, and so, you love that kind of as, as a guy who, you know, I watched Juju in college. I love the way he played the game. Um, I, I like you thought that, you know, he wasn't a first round type receiver and, and maybe he isn't, you know, I don't think ultimately he'll end up being a first round type of receiver, but this was kind of the exact range that I, where Pittsburgh picked him was kind of, I think he was, he was higher than this on my board, but you know, this was kind of the mid to late second was kind of where I viewed him. I think maybe early third, somewhere in that range. Um, you know, depending on where you needed a receiver and what you needed your receiver to do. And I think the biggest thing for me is his route running has just developed really nicely. And I, that's a testament to him landing in a great spot with a team that has a long history of developing wide receivers that were, that were raw. And I don't think he was raw necessarily coming out, but um, I just think that he, there was certain aspects of his game that did need a little bit of development. He wasn't like raw, like Martavis Bryant was coming out, but um, still, he, I mean, again, it goes back to landing spot, you know, fit with the team, a guy, I mean, Antonio Brown, you know, gets a lot of flack for being a prima donna and stuff, but people don't know. He's also maybe the hardest working receiver in the league. I mean, he's, he's just unbelievably dedicated all the time. I mean, he's probably the last guy off the practice field. He's, you know, he's just always out there working, 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 uh, perfecting his routes, perfecting his breaks. And so Juju, the best thing about him and why I think the Steelers love him, he's just a sponge. He just, he works constantly. You know, he has, that's his life right now. Football's his life, and he's dedicated himself completely to it. You know, he's mastered. He's able to be on the field and, and be one of their best contributing receivers as a blocker uh, because he knows all the plays. He knows, you know, he can play inside, he can play outside. And he's able to pick that up all, all up right away because he is a bright kid. He is very mature, but his work ethic is just insane. So he's been able to take what was a skill set that was probably pretty close to what you saw at USC. You were probably not off in your evaluation, but the hard part comes becomes then projecting 
where is he going to go in the NFL? Is he going to go to a team with a you know quite more questionable history with wide receiver play? You know, you go somewhere like Cleveland, we may not be hearing anything about Tuesday and Schuster. <laughs> right. uh, but you go somewhere like Pittsburgh with the reputation they have, and Richard Mann, their wide receivers coach, phenomenal. And you know, and you have Antonio Brown there, and you have Ben Roethlisberger, and you have such a you know just a strong organization all as a whole for a young guy like that. Um, I think it just kind of emboldened him to go out and be everything that he naturally was already and so yeah, he he's been he's been exceptional in Pittsburgh and it, it looks like a good a good class so far for Pittsburgh and now Cam Sutton gets back uh from injury and is joined in practice again too so we'll get to see the third rounder here hopefully uh, as well and the, the the more that I talk to people whether it's with the team or people who study the draft or other reporters the thing that always just comes out for me is makeup and character end up pushing the guys to the top so when you have guys who stay in the league for a long time, there's a reason if they're, if someone's 31 in the league, they're either just a complete freak or they have that elite makeup that has guided them to be at that spot. Because uh, yep. you see so many guys fall off and fail because they don't have it. And speaking of that, I did want to ask your opinion on Laquan Treadwell and what you thought of him coming out of the draft and what he's done so far, which is very little because I, myself, I'll tell you my opinion is I don't think that there's any ceiling to get to uh, because he can't create separation and he doesn't win that many 50-50 balls if they're even thrown in his direction. We asked the general manager of the Vikings, Rick Spielman, about Treadwell, and he said, well, they're not really targeting him that much. Like, uh, yeah, right? There's a reason for that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's trying not to say anything rude about the guy he drafted in the first round, but... I mean, yeah, they don't seem to have a problem with targeting Adam Thielen or Stephon Diggs all the time. Um, but, you know, they don't throw it his way because he's it's rarely open. And just last week, he caught a ball with no timeouts to get them in field goal position and tried to turn up field and run. And instead, he got pushed out of bounds like he was lucky to have gotten pushed out of bounds because he didn't know the game situation at all, which has just been a huge thing for him, whether it's route depths or anything else. So I think we're seeing that kind of it's not that he's a bad person by, I say, character, but just how he's made up. We're seeing what that that's, I think, part of the cause for his lack of success. Um, are you surprised by that? Did you like him coming out? Uh, what have you thought? Yeah, he was my wide receiver too. <laughs> Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas, there you was go. wide receiver one for me, and uh, Treadwell was wide receiver two. And yeah, I, I did, I liked him a lot. And again, this goes back to you know, I didn't, I had not heard anything before the draft about Laquan Treadwell, you know, being somebody who might struggle to pick up an offense. And and clearly, I mean, that's been the talk since he got to Minnesota. So you know, clearly, there's definitely some truth to that. And I don't know all the details there, um, but uh, it sounds like there's been at least some truth to him game situations picking up the offense you know routes and you know when to, i remember last year i watched him in one game and i think there was a pass intercepted because he didn't didn't finish a route or didn't run through the ball or something like that and stuff like that i mean you, you don't realize it i don't think until, i think fans on the outside are like man if you run a post on this play you're on a post you know what's so hard about it? if you're on a go on this play what's so hard about it and when you coach i think you really realize how much goes into it. I mean, you have your route spacing from each other, your alignment pre-snap, your recognition of what a corner's alignment is pre-snap and where safety is. Is the middle of the field open? Is the middle of the field closed? When do you choose, when, you, when do you have an option route? And, you know, what, what do you run depending on what the coverage is? And there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and that's not an excuse for Treadwell, but I'm just saying that that's an important part of the evaluation for a lot of these wide receivers that is just kind of tricky from the outside. Like, because 
you know, at Ole Miss, he ran some good things, and I, I thought that he made a lot of contested catches. You know, he was kind of a monster at the catch point. Um, so the fact that that hasn't really translated to the NFL isn't very encouraging. Uh, and, you know, maybe he wasn't big enough to be able to win that way and didn't have the hops to be able to win that way consistently. So, um, he, he's been – I haven't really studied him much since he's been to Minnesota, to be honest, uh, because I know that they're generally pretty slow with their rookies. And so last year didn't really – depressed me too much but this year the fact that yeah he hasn't gotten involved at all um really or very much anyways has been kind of just depressing and i will say this though certain types of receivers need certain types of quarterbacks to succeed um and that doesn't mean that laquan treadwell would definitely succeed with a different type of quarterback but he is very much a, a trusted type of guy you know you've got to have a quarterback who's willing to you know like jay cutler was when alshon jeffrey played with him you know jeffrey doesn't create uh, this unbelievable separation he just had a quarterback that didn't care and just threw the ball anyway. And so I think there's a level of that with Laquan Treadwell that, um, you know, he will kind of need one of those fearless type of quarterbacks. In my experience, that's definitely not Case Keenum, and that's definitely not Sam Bradford. I don't think it's Teddy Bridgewater either, so I'm not sure he'll be the greatest fit there. Um, I, I think that he could potentially have better luck somewhere else, but it sounds like there's more issues than just the fit going on there as well. Case Keenum does have a little bit of what I like to call YOLO in him where he will throw it up every once in a while for the last couple of weeks. He hasn't done it as much, but he's tried it to Treadwell, I think three times and one was intercepted and the other two Treadwell mistimed the jump. And it just like, I, I mean, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen, they win those battles 60, 70% of the time when there's a 50, 50 ball. And, uh, you know, they, well, there you go. That's analytics. They change the percentages on those because they're <laughs> so good, um, at beating corners and using whatever leverage they have and timing it and, and both have incredible hands. I mean, the, the thing about Treadwell too, and his numbers, there's really no reason to throw to him because the other two are so excellent. But even when right. Stefan Diggs was out, the, the true point where I said, okay, I think that this experiment isn't going to work was against the Ravens where they put him one-on-one -on, -one on one side of the field as if they had Darrell Revis. They, they basically played like they had Darrell Revis over there and it was like Brandon Carr. It was like they, they had no fear whatsoever of Laquan Treadwell beating them one-on-one -on -one so they could load up on one side of the field. And it made things really difficult for Case Keenum. The first half of that game, he basically couldn't pass at all. So they had to rely on uh, running and defense in that game. And I, and I think that was a product of showing no respect whatsoever for Treadwell. And that makes me think, man, if the guy ran a 4-2 or something or was 6-5, like you're saying, maybe you could say, all right, well, maybe we can find ways to use him. But he doesn't have any of those measurables either. So um, last thing for you on Teddy Bridgewater. I've been watching a lot of Teddy 2015. And Teddy Bridgewater, I have to tell you, going back to when I was working in Buffalo, I wanted the Bills to draft Teddy Bridgewater badly. I watched a ton of Teddy Bridgewater at Louisville, uh, thought he was incredibly accurate, amazing poise, character and makeup through the roof, all of those things. Thought he should have gone number one overall. Couldn't believe the Bills passed on him to trade up for a wide receiver when EJ Manuel was their quarterback. I won't get into it. Um, so he goes down for a year. I thought in 2015, watching his tape, he was really, really good. I, I think that the numbers do not tell the story at all of what he actually looked like um, in 2015. Coming back, I know it's impossible to tell how his knee's going to respond, but let's just say 
from your scouting eye with Bridgewater, uh, if he were to return to the old Teddy Bridgewater, how good of a quarterback would the Vikings have? Man, it's it's hard to say for sure. You know, if if he returns to the old Teddy Bridgewater, I think that they have a a good starting quarterback. Man, if I don't think a great starting quarterback, I don't know if I'd buy top twelve talk. Um, but I think he's probably consistently between somewhere like twelve to eighteen, maybe in the league. And uh, you know, I would say that the best I've seen from Bridgewater, it's it's so similar to Sam Bradford, which is why it's so funny, is that. You know, Sam Bradford week one, am I, he looked like an MVP candidate. I never seen him throw the ball that way. I mean, you have, you have seen him throw the ball that way, but it's just, it's so few and far between. I mean, he just looked so outstanding and, but you just know it doesn't last uh, with Sam Bradford. And so uh, with Teddy, you know, he's had some injuries now. And um, so those are going to play some type of a toll. You know, that's the thing, everybody, you know, and how does he get back to Teddy of old? I mean, you know, maybe there's times where he captures that and, you know, is it going to last? You know, that's the question. Is it going to be something consistent? Because they affect the way you play. They affect you know your mentality in certain games, certain matchups, and you know you got pressure around. You got a muddy pocket, and you know, I think that those things have taken a toll on someone like Sam Bradford. I hope they don't take that toll on um, on on Teddy Bridgewater. But you know, is obviously extremely smart quarterback gives them mobility uh, from the pocket and the ability to play in and out of structure, which is something I talk about a lot because. I love it a lot in quarterbacks. I think it's very important. Um, and I think that he does that. And that's where he kind of gives you an upgrade over over Sam Bradford. But Sam Bradford, is a, this is going to sound ridiculous, but it's because of last year, but he's a better downfield passer when when he's on, you know, when, mm-hmm. when the options are available. He, he's probably a better downfield passer than Bridgewater is. A little bit of a cleaner mechanic, um, you know, but both are pretty accurate. Um, you know, both give you a lot in that way. Um, I think both are, for the most part, good decision makers with the football too. So uh, I think they have a really hard conversation, you know, when both of those two are healthy or whatever happens with that, that situation, because again, this season, I mean, they're going to have one of the weirdest quarterback situations, you know, depending on what happens with Bridgewater, we're still you know a long way off, I guess, from seeing exactly how this all plays out. But um, yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be very interesting for Minnesota because I think that, I think that both players are probably pretty solid quarterbacks. Quarterbacks that, if they're 100% healthy, that you know a lot of teams in the league would have as their starter. Both should start somewhere, given the quarterback situation in today's NFL. But I don't know that both are ever elite guys that are going to, at least by themselves, take your team to, to the next level with their performance either. Well, I think if history tells us anything, the Vikings will have Drew Brees next year because that's just <laughs> how it works out. Warren Moon that's and, right. <laughs> and Brett Favre. Donovan McNabb, if, if you're a washed-up former top-notch <laughs> quarterback, there's a great chance you'll end your career in Minnesota. That's um, right. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's I mean, that is the thing that we're all watching here, how it's going to turn out. So, uh, yeah. John, what is your Twitter handle so people can follow you? At Ledyard, L-E-D-Y-A-R-D, NFL Draft. All right, beautiful. That, well, your work is phenomenal. It's a must-read, uh, especially around draft time. Not not short-selling any of your uh, work during the regular season, but uh, draft time, you are one of the go-to guys, one of the most detailed people uh, that I know. So I was very glad to connect with you again, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it, man. Take care. All right, follow him on Twitter, and thank you for listening to the Purple Podcast. 
This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.